it's like he's a fucking loser. Like yes. he's like so he's like like Jean Claude Van Damme and Mike Tyson and everyone are just like, oh my god, what the? How the fuck are we gonna? Yeah, you know we can't work with this guy. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Cinema Ball. I'm Carolyn Pettit, and I'm here, as usual, with my host and opponent, Ebony Astor. Hey, Ebony. Hey, Caro. <laughs> wow, you've got a lot of <laughs> energy there, it's because and I, I appreciate I am, that. I'm faking it. I am not going to lie. Yeah. I am faking I, it, because this movie saps yeah. everything from me. But I feel like, yes, that's why I appreciate, even if it's that fake energy, just something <laughs> for us to... Propel us, propel us through the the discussion that awaits. All right, folks, if you listen to our Highlander episode, you kind of already know how this works. But just in case you need a quick refresher, the object of Cinema Ball is to connect a series of seemingly unrelated movies uh, in the smallest amount of moves uh, to my goal film, uh, which is the 1998 Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle uh, knockoff. Last week, in a move of just tremendous, heartbreaking desperation, I uh, kicked the cinema ball to a 2018, a brand new action film called Kickboxer Retaliation. I was I played off of Christopher Lambert's appearance as the star of Highlander. He has a role in this film, and that enabled me to to make that move. And let me tell you, it is a move for which. Both Ebony and I have already paid dearly. Yeah, um, yeah. I I um, want you. I, I the only thing that kept me going as I watched this was knowing that you had experienced just as much pain yes. and that you yes. might have been feeling just as much regret uh, yes. about s- selecting it as I wasn't agreeing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to watch it. I know. It's like sit. You know, I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh my god, Cinema Ball was a mistake. <laughs> um, so at the end of this episode, it will be Ebony's turn to announce our next film, hopefully one which causes us, you know, marginally less pain and suffering than this film did. But uh, since I selected Kickboxer Retaliation, I'm going to start us off by giving us a little bit of, you know, background on how this film came to be. So um, as most people probably know, Kickboxer is a, is a franchise of films. It originated in 1989 with the uh, the film Kickboxer, uh, which starred Jean-Claude Van Damme as Kurt, as Kurt Sloan. Now, um, that film kicked off a, a number of sequels, uh, none of which Jean-Claude Van Damme returned for. I believe they told the story of his character's brother's exploits and adventures in the wonderful world of kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the original Kickboxer was fo- was followed by Kickboxer 2, The Road Back in 1991. 1992 brought us Kickboxer 3, The Art of War. Wow. And of course, who could forget 1994's Kickboxer 4, The Aggressor. And then Kickboxer 5, the, which apparently is unrelated to the previous entries, you know, other than by name, Kickboxer Five: The Redemption. Um, wow. Do then, you think? Do you think these movies have anything to do with like masculinity? Maybe about like <laughs> constructions oh, of manhood. I wonder if we'll get gonna, to that. I wonder if we're going to talk gonna about that into, at all. Yeah. Yeah. So 
then in in uh, 2016, the Kickboxer franchise was rebooted with the film Kickboxer Vengeance, which replaced uh, Jean Claude Van Damme as Kurt Sloan with uh, this stuntman, you know, martial artist named uh, Alan Moosey. I don't actually know how to say his name, but hopefully that's close enough. That's accurate. Um, as Kurt Sloan, and Jean Claude Van Damme stepped into the sort of mentor role as this figure named Master Dur- Durand. Um, and so that was basically a straight, like almost remake of the original Kickboxer. It had a very similar plot, you know, just like in the original film. Uh, Sloan fights this uh, this figure named Tong Po, uh, you know, to the death. And um, and so that's you know we learn. So neither Ebony nor I watched the the previous film. The the film mm-hmm. we watched, Kickboxer Retaliation, was the, is the sequel to Vengeance. But the fact that Sloan had killed this warrior named Tong Po in some Thailand underground, you know, kickboxing death match is a major, you know, plot point uh, in this film. So, you know, if, know that. Um, yes. It, well, I was just going to say that if people were at all confused by your summary of the franchise, yeah. you know, join the club because oh, yeah. I, having not seen any of these movies and doing like furious research while yeah. retaliation was going on on Wikipedia yeah. uh, because you could duck out of some of those just like interminable horribly choreographed fight scenes for like a quick two minutes and then dip back in you know so I'm trying to like uh, figure out you know who's who uh, right. where they came from, what the relationships are, whatever. Yes. But you know what? It's immaterial. It's, it's absolutely basically. immaterial. You know, like, yeah. you can go into this movie, as I did, having not seen a single kickboxer ever in life. <laughs> and yeah. basically, you just strap in for the ride and know uh-huh. that you're going to be watching, I don't know, apparently there's this farm team of, uh, like, French-accented ultimate fighters that, you know, when right. one goes down, you call up the next one, you know? Yeah. You just surrender uh, to that world, and uh, exactly. And and uh, just really quickly, the the film's director is a is a dude named Dimitri uh, Logothetis. I apologize also if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Um, Don't he's apologize had a, to that a dude. Long career. <laughs> he's had a long career of producing and directing various things, none of which are particularly notable. But um, according to Wikipedia, he pursued uh, filmmaking because um, he was actually an actor in. Uh, in the film, um, the Scorsese film, New York, New York. And apparently at some point while working on that film, Scorsese, and this is, you know, (laughs) is this true? Or is this just like the dude himself puts this on his Wikipedia page to make Uh himself sound, you know? But according to the Wikipedia page, Martin Scorsese encouraged him to pursue filmmaking because of his knack for visual st- storytelling and the rest is history here we are and now Thank we're you, now Martin all Scorsese. of us yeah now the rest of us are paying the price because exactly. Martin Scorsese happened to make eye contact with that dude over yeah. the craft table and he spun <laughs> it into a career defining moment no yeah. fucking thanks oh my yeah. god okay so you know let's Carol, I have so much to say. And, you know, like I said in the intro, I had no idea what was going on in this movie. By the so, end, I was no I, wiser. And yet I, I felt like I was I was burdened with things I needed to say. I mean, so my feeling is let's talk about how the movie begins, because my feeling is that and maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect that even people who 
have followed, you know, who watched the previous film, mm -hmm. would be confused and thrown off by how this movie begins. You mean that perfume ad? That perfume ad? <laughs> I thought it was, I, I honestly at first thought, oh, is there like a trailer for like a dance film? Yes, like a stylish yes. European dance film before <laughs> the kickboxing movie? Because, yeah, you have this man in, in a, you know, a suit who we will, we will learn is Kurt, our hero, Kurt Sloan. This woman in like a red dress it's on this europe this train that's like cutting a course through you know across european mountainsides or something you know very picturesque and everything these two people just like they just start dancing you know in the middle of the train car and yeah. but then before long all these people show up to like <laughs> kick the dude's ass and i for real thought it was going to be like a ferrero rocher ad yeah. or like you know something from some like mid-tier amaretto it's so staged which you know as the as the yeah. movie goes on you find out the reason for that and yet it is astonishingly um poorly like it inserted into the it never makes sense you know well, although so you know so like spoilers spoiler alerts it's like a dream uh the dude has right but i mean oh, it, it was never, it, it wasn't that what it, it was it was a dream well, i don't maybe i mean i guess it must have been uh because i never because here's what i thought the whole movie right uh -huh. is you know, because it, it ends, the opening big fight scene ends with the dude, like, falling into the into the water. Like, he gets, right. like, knocked off the train and he falls into the water. And so my thought, having seen a number of, like, J.J. Abrams films and TV shows over the past several years. You're going to admit okay, that in public, Caro? I mean, we, none of us can people? avoid it. J.J. <laughs> Abrams, you know, we, it's not, like, by choice. It's just, like, in the, in the ether at this point. You know, J.J. Abrams, like in a lot of Alias episodes and in, like, Mission Impossible 3 and stuff, he often does this thing where the episode or film will start with some dire situation, mm -hmm. and then the whole film or whatever will be leading you back up to that point. So I honestly thought, because there's no mention of mm -hmm. it, there's no mention of this train sequence or anything, I honestly thought, oh, uh, at some point like the action is going to bring us back to this moment. And then we're going to find out how he gets out of the water and like what happens after that. Right. But it never, it never happens. And yet, and yet like the people who he fights on the train mm -hmm. are people who he encounters. So then I thought, Oh, the train thing happened before. And he right. fought these people before, but he's trying not to clue them in that he recognizes them from the train or something. But then, like, there's still like, how do how did he and his wife get to Las Vegas for the for the fight or what? Like, there's just yeah, the, I, it's never explained. <laughs> the the calculus of the Thai underground fighting circuit blew my mind. I could not figure out what I, was going on. So my yeah. understanding, and I just assumed I could be wrong. Maybe but you're I was right. Like a dream sounds like the most reasonable well, explanation. I think what okay, so this is how I explained it to myself. And this yeah. may be given the movie more credit than it actually deserves. In fact, that's almost certainly true. But my feeling was that, okay, the people that he saw, um, 
who became characters in that dream he had had contact with in the last film so that's why he had like mental images of them and then Uh i thought i could be wrong but i thought he said like so after he wins the bout at the beginning of the movie once it opens for real oh um, and he says like i blacked out or i i snapped out of it for a minute and i had a dream and we were dancing or whatever and so i thought like he had constructed this elaborate kind of fantasy right that makes yeah does it? Ma- I wouldn't no. say that it makes sense. I mean, no. But it, like, it, the movie it, is very unclear. Like, it's yeah. extremely unclear storytelling, whatever it is. But I think you're. I I suspect that you're right. That that's what the film was trying, trying to do with that. With that, like, I, I don't know what else it would have been. Trying and and failing I, miserably. Utterly, but before we even get, can we go back to yeah. the opening screen, yeah. which is something yeah, you yeah. pointed out to me. Uh, when you yeah. first started watching it, which is the, <laughs> yeah. the production, this, well, go USA. This production company, <laughs> like the first words you see on the screen are basically, well, go USA. Like mm-hmm. the production company is is called well go well go USA, and I'm like, wait, do you mean like w- will will go? Like, is it supposed to be we will go we yeah. will go USA, or yeah. is it like? Well, go USA. Yeah, like, like what is that? Like, where what is, is the comma supposed to be? Like the punctuation yeah. would help here. Right. But also, if you decide to watch this movie, which you absolutely should not do, but it's available no, no, no. On... You absolutely no. Sh- you should join <laughs> us. Join us in our in our experience. I'm just, listen, I'm looking out for you. I'm playing good I mean, cop to Carol's bad cop. This in is this world cinema, people. I mean, it's got beautiful Thai vistas. You know, I mean, it's. You've got uh, Belgian actor Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, yeah, French got- actor Christopher Lambert. This Yo, is, it's like this is having a slight French cinema. accent was the wave yeah. in this movie, right? Like I was, yes. I was getting off on that. It was amazing. But yeah, so yeah. I love the like, well, go USA. And depending upon yeah. where the comma is, the meaning changes. But also the logo itself was uh-huh. kind of low res, like it was kind of fuzzy. It never yeah. slapped into high res, and I was like, this tells you everything you need to know about the amount of care that was put into this movie, which basically, like, it looks like kind of a, um, it would ha- it would be absolutely at home playing late night, you know, yes. in, like, the 90s. Like, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that show Silk Stockings, which I'm and dating myself. No, yeah, I remember Silk Stockings. But, stockings. like, this kind of, you know... Yeah, the crimes kind of, of I mean, crimes of a like, sexy nature. <laughs> yeah, like alluringly low budget, right? <laughs> yes, like, yes. Like it's it's low budget, but it does the low budget thing in a way that's like, you know, it's there's it's something very stylish. alluring about it. Yeah, yeah you stylish. know, there's something very stylish, and and you know, depending upon, um, you know, just like these very kind of vivid uh, colors and textures, which, you know, occasionally there were things that were well done. The editing in this movie is bananas. You will not know what the fuck is happening, why it's happening when, why certain things are slow motion, why certain key things kind of get reround a second to, like, increase the... It's just, it's very poorly edited. And yet, it is occasionally fun to watch simply because, you know, almost in spite of itself, they're cool shots. I mean, I actually thought that there were a few fight sequences that were clearly done, or at least maybe maybe CGI blended to make it seem like they'd been done, but that were presented mm-hmm. in one long take from yeah. the from the camera's point of view. Mm-hmm. And you know, there were there were definitely like moments of like stunt work and stuff in those that I, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I you know, I admire the craft of mm-hmm. like that particular stunt. I admire that stunt person's commitment to like taking that fall right. or whatever. Like 
I mean, there, there were definitely, for me at least, I mean, uh, like, I feel like a lot of, even most action directors don't really actually know how to direct action. True, like, true. They, like, like, so many action scenes are so, in so many films are incoherent. Mm-hmm. We've been sort of Michael Bayed into submission yeah. where, you know, I mean, to me, there's nothing worse for action sequences than like quick cuts and like really, yes. j- j- really shaky camera movements because how can we be invested in the mm-hmm. action if we cannot clearly see the relationship of the characters to each other in yes. physical space? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I guess by, you know, by that standard, to me, like this film's fight sequences I, like i i actually found them a little bit more watchable than a lot of a, than a lot of action you know, in- I, I agree with you that um i was very gratified um about the clarity of the way the the fights were presented right so you could yeah. clearly see like you, you could always make out kurt and know who K- right. kurt was or where he was versus yeah. the antagonist whoever he's fighting at the moment even if he's fighting several people at once which you know is yeah. not uncommon right um but to me the fights lacked a kind of despite being um full of of movement and kind of explosive yeah. energy. There was something sure. kinetically missing for me. Mm. Um, and that they seemed so staged. Right. Um, right. That right. they seemed like, you know, dance moves, which is its own yes. skill versus sure, sure. fighting. Right. So there was, there were few, there were comparatively few times where I actually felt like my, uh, my blood pumping, you know, oh, yeah. I actually felt concern for Kurt, like regardless of whether the dude is a good actor or not, which spoiler oh, yeah. alert, he is not. He's, but no, but I mean, and to be fair, like it's a completely different skill set than whipping your body into the kind yeah. of dynamic shape you need to be an action star than to be a traditional actor. But like regardless of all of that, there was rarely a point where I actually thought, whoa, this guy may not win this fight you know like this doesn't seem none of them felt like real fights until the very end yeah. but i thought that yeah. was very there was something much different going on when he fought Monkut. which by the way why was his name Monkut? like why did he have that thai name did you, did they ever yeah. explain that uh, i mean everything about so Monkut for our listeners the the, the final you know adversary that Kurt, basically okay quick like basic plot summary is that Kurt, because he killed Tong Po in the first film, uh, Christopher Lambert's character, who is this like fight promoter, this under like super wealthy, powerful fight promoter, basically, you know, forces Kurt to fight this new genetically engineered super warrior named Monkit. Now Monkit gets so little character development that he mm-hmm. makes Ivan Drago looked like a really well-rounded <laughs> character because they're both very much these like laboratory, like these right. engineered, you know, en- enemies, right? They're basically mm-hmm. we both we see both of them being basically like designed in in laboratories in a mm-hmm. sense. Um, but uh, yeah, so he has to fight Monkut at the end. But there's a strange thing to me about the arc toward that final uh, showdown, which is that when facing the kind of so. Many of the fights, uh, Kurt Sloan seems like a, a like a fighting god, right? Like there's mm-hmm. an early fight scene in the he's being held in this like prison by Christopher Lambert while he, you know, waffles while he, you know, resists participating in this fight, and like he'll get surrounded by you know four or five dudes, and he'll be like, um, you know, 
like he'll do the 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 really robotic like Terminator like I'm gonna give you a you right. know a broken <laughs> rib you're gonna you know I'm gonna break your jaw yeah like you calling know, it like this pool and, shots. and he calls his shots ahead yeah. of time and then he executes in such mm-hmm. a way to deliver exactly the punishment right. that he said he was so it's like amazing but then. When he starts like training in earnest to fight Monkut, it's like he's a fucking loser. Like yes. he's like so, he's like like Jean Claude Van Damme and Mike Tyson and everyone are just like, oh my god, what the, how the fuck are we gonna, yeah. you know, we can't work with this guy, you know, basically. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell? Like how can he both be both like a fighting god right. and like utterly unprepared for this challenge. It's, it's you know? amazing because he, you know, is rightfully acknowledged as like the best fighter in the world. Right. You know? Yeah. So he has, and I mean, crucially to the, um, the narrative of this film, he's not just uh, a, a strong fighter, but he's a smart fighter. Right. Right. So Mike Tyson's right. character Briggs says like, it's not always the strongest man who wins. It's the smartest man who wins, which let me stop right now to say 99% of the time that is the most racist dog whistle when that's sure. deployed in terms of like sports and, and the body. Um, but so like he's built up as this almost preternaturally skilled fighter. Exactly. But then exactly. Like you say, when it's time to train him, it's like he's suddenly turned into Jughead, you know? And yeah, they, they, exactly. they can't, they can't fucking believe like, 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 like he's, how do we take him from nothing and turn him <laughs> into a champion? You know? Right. Right. Um, I was just going to the, the um, so Manka is very interesting. Right. So, yeah, he's this genetically engineered um, like fighting machine. Yeah. And but so, it, so, you know, to paint a picture, he's not like a like a really agile you know mm-hmm. fighter. He is like a massive physically imposing like, bo- you know, like bone breaking fighter who can essentially like withstand any punishment you can dish out without. Uh, without being phased in the slightest. Yeah, like, I mean, that's if, if the, he that's has the a threat. skill, it's, you know, being able to hit with more force than a mm-hmm. smaller man. But also, like you yeah. said, being able to withstand, um, you know, abuse, right? But it was interesting yeah. because, you know, you would think that the kind of, like, hyper-defined musculature of uh, of Kurt Sloan, which, by the way, I never quit laughing at the fact that Kurt Sloan, like, this character was supposed to be an American <laughs> fighter, and he had the uber-American name Kurt Sloan. And yeah, yeah. Tried Tried valiantly to lose that accent, whatever. Anyway, um, but like Manka, he is he's 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 a giant slab of of meat, right? Yeah, his, his exactly. body is his musculature is not very well defined. He's just big. That's the, exactly that's the threat, right? Like he's yeah. just big um right and so when we first see him and we see him kind of lumbering in the laboratory hitting people with these you know giant roast beef arms yeah you, know, you think like <laughs> you can like the dude can barely like he can barely um like move his body because he's so big like it, i felt like you could pull the maneuver on him that like wesley did in the princess bride with andre the giant just like jump on the guy's back and take him down like slowly suffocate him yeah like he's not gonna be able to knock you off he can't move that fast yeah exactly and, and i love to in that in in those scenes we see uh he you know his handler who's this white american mm-hmm. like college kid they say like you know i forget like graduated top of his class from yeah. harvard chemistry or whatever the yeah. fuck like injecting monk with these like car- gi- giant like cartoon syringes <laughs> of of you know, biogenetic material to to turn him into into what he is. Yeah, amazing. Um, well, I we have to talk. We have to talk about mm-hmm. 
a bit about the supporting characters in this film. So Mike yes. Tyson, like, yeah. okay, first of all, okay, the, the way that Sloan and Briggs meet is that Briggs is another person in, uh, in do you remember Christopher Lambert's character's name? Uh, in, I want to say it was like Durand. No, that's no, that's Jean Claude Van Damme. It's like a, it's like Thomas something more. Yeah, I think more, more, Mister Moore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Briggs is another like prisoner in Moore's prison comp- mm-hmm. complex, and at some point, like uh, Sloan is like fighting with somebody else, and he like knocks into Mike Tyson, who's sitting in a corner meditating, and like Mike Tyson turns around and is like, "You ruined my meditation or whatever." Yeah. And so then like. The two of them have this like knockdown, drag out fight, mm-hmm. but the whole time I'm like, like there's no motive, like they're just fighting for the pleasure yes. <laughs> of fighting each <laughs> right. other, right? Uh-huh. There's no like motivation for them to actually be right. kicking each other's asses. I mean, but this mm-hmm. is how in the world of this film, like people earn each other's respect and how bonds right. are formed, right? This is mm-hmm. like a prelude to friendship for these two dudes is this absolutely brutal uh you know fight scene and i mean that just is one manifestation of you know all of this film's uh uh uh, troubling ideas about masculinity you know there's there's one really long uh fight sequence that the whole thing is set to a song where the lyrics are like uh you know, just over I'm, and over I'm again. A man. Like, I'm a man. Yeah, I'm a, a real song. man. Right. Yeah. I'm a bad man. You know. Um, and if 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 I'm not mistaken, which I listen, I'm gonna be mistaken 77 percent of the time on this podcast. So feel free to not at me because you'll wear out your keyboard <laughs> correcting me. But clearly, they could not afford the um, the commercial releases of the popular songs they were <laughs> they were choosing. So like the Beach Boys' "Wipeout" was another one. But yes, then this blues track, right? You know, it's done by not uh, John Lee Hooker, but it sounded to me like some blue eyed soul white singer. And I was like, yo, yeah. you like the comment you are making as this white dude brutalizes a bunch of physically in quotation marks inferior brown men yes. to this blues jam where he's singing over and over again. I'm a man, you know. Like, it was yeah. blowing my and, mind. Like, also, there was this there was this weird sense of, like, solidarity at the prison between, the like, the white inmates or something. Like, wh- there's one time where yeah. another white inmate tells Sloan, like, oh, you know, these guys are gunning for right. you or whatever. So it's, 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 there is that, like, ra- racially charged undertone of, like, all these, like, Thai, you know, goons, these, like, yeah. Mr. Moore's goons or whatever, or just other prisoners who just want to... Ki- kick the white guy's ass for kicks but like and these are the opponents crucially Mm -hmm. who the film sets up as like no match for sloan whatsoever right but then monkut who's despite the name is a hefty massive white dude you know Mm -hmm. he's like a fucking massive threat so there is definitely why are there so many white ultimate fighters in thailand what is going on in the prisons on the streets of the underground clubs there's just a bunch of white people who go there to fight what is happening yeah and the other thing i have to say about mike tyson is you know this whole film exists on a level of like really bad acting Mm -hmm. but when mike tyson shows up like i had to kick my suspension of disbelief up to a whole new level you have to you know, for all you video game nerds, you have to max out your suspension of disbelief <laughs> skill tree to be able to, to buy a single thing Mike Tyson says in this film, even remotely. Like, he is yeah. just, well, he this, is just 
he's yeah. there to be Mike Tyson. Right? Yeah. You know, like that's exactly. the whole point. I was fascinated by um okay, so I don't I don't watch a lot of Jean Claude Van Damme movies, even at his peak at his prime. I know, right? Like I'm blowing your mind here. But even in his prime, like I just, you know, I didn't get down with his movies. But obviously always knew who he was. And um, you know, kind of recognized like the Van Damme genre, right? But that moment has passed. So the Van Damme that we get in this movie as the trainer Duran and the Mike Tyson we get in this movie as Briggs, they are physically much smaller than they were in their heyday, right? And so the um, the way in which their virility, by the terms of this movie, has been lessened because they're older, you know, and the absolute imperative um, placed upon them to communicate, like this generational communication of a certain type of masculinity, like the yes. line has to be unbroken, right? But it was actually visually startling a bit for me to see this older um, uh Jean-Claude Van Damme, yeah. you know, looking like a fucking pool hall regular, you know, with that hat and those clothes. And, yeah. and Mike Tyson, you know, yeah, like he gets his knockdown drag out fight with Kurt Sloan. But, you know, a lot of the the might behind his punches and his kicks are, sure. you know, like it's movie magic. Like this dude in, oh, right yeah. now is there's no way he would hold his own against Kurt Sloan. You know, this like 35 sure. year old dude, MMA fighter who's in the, the prime of life. But just like yeah. so the, the different versions of masculinity that are on uh, on offer here. But also the fact that this older version of it is there to lend the new version legitimacy, you know, to recognize it as being like, yes, you are a worthy kid carrier for this and so i'm like gonna pass the torch that's so important i mean you know one scene i just have to briefly mention because it's also so uh indicative of this film's the kind of masculinity this film is holding up um is the scene after their big fight uh tyson and or, or briggs and sloan are being whipped you know they get the 40 lashes they you know in the torture chamber or whatever and tyson Tyson doesn't flinch even in the slightest to any mm-hmm. of the attacks, uh, any of the lashes of the whip. And afterwards, like Sloan is like, I want what you have. You didn't even flinch. Like, I mm-hmm. want I want that. And of course, like, I mean, it's uh, there's a, like a plant, like a plant that deadens the nerves. Yeah. That is the, the secret. But still, like this sort mm-hmm. of pursuit of a deadening of feeling. Right. You know, as like a masculine ideal mm-hmm. is is really, really troubling. Um. Jean-Claude Van Damme's character uh, has been blinded in this film. He's blind, but he's blind like Rutger Hauer in Blind Fury is blind. (laughs) Like, I mean, he can, it's it's, it's like he's probably a better fighter now than he was before, you know? Like this film gives, it actually gives Christopher Lambert an excuse to wield a sword at one point, Mm -hmm. you know? Hey, shout outs to Highlander. That's right, that's right. And, um, he and Jean-Claude Van Damme fight and you know Jean-Claude Van Damme totally holds his own in that fight also Jean-Claude Van Damme is the one who discerns Monkut's weakness yes even like so there's in, in that laboratory like um you know there's like a moment where it's sort of revealed that Monkut has a glass jaw because mm-hmm. someone hits him in the jaw and he like staggers a bit right and Jean-Claude Van Damme you know blind and like on the other side of glass like you know just in this observation area senses you know just knows exactly what it was and so he can pass that wisdom on to sloan Mm -hmm. and aid sloan in his in his victory like that kind of i mean 
I mean, like, obviously there's some truth to the fact that if you lose one sense, you learn to rely to a greater degree on the others. But this, like, ventures into, like, supernatural yeah. territory with his, like, ability to dodge every swing of the blade and, you know. Right. All that stuff. So, yeah. You know, in terms of just acting, in terms of giving us something in a performance to actually react to, I felt mm-hmm. like that was the most interesting aspect of the film. Oh, yeah. Like, I was, I was oddly uh, kind of charmed by him um, in this role. I haven't seen, and I know it's been canceled now, but I didn't watch any of JCVD, the, yeah, his, the Amazon series. But I understand that there was something similar kind of going on there, like this awareness and playing with, you know, this man who has um, embodied a certain type of, of, of masculinity and a certain type of movie stardom, um, uh, you know, like moving into a different phase of his life and the ways in which he is allowed to do that and the ways in which he isn't allowed to do that by audiences. Right. So, so I love that. But um, yeah, there, there is this sadness there because, you know, he has been removed from the exchange that allows um, uh, men in their prime, certainly white men in their prime, to receive the wards for possessing a certain kind of masculinity, right? So like, he's no longer an object of sexual desire for the hot women who are there. Right. He's not, you know, going to be getting any of that sweet prize money. He's not going to get to hang out in Vegas and take the limos and whatever. All he has now is the ability to become a trainer for the next generation of, you know, fighting men. Uh, and that has to be reward enough because the other trappings of success are no longer his to claim. I can't believe I'm feeling bad about this for him, but you know, this movie sucks you in like uh, these movies can be incredibly compelling. Right. And as, as a, uh, a woman of a certain generation, a black woman, black queer woman of a certain generation watching this movie, I'm just tripping out at the way that, movies like this give a um like the fighting is a a visual excuse for ostensibly straight male audiences to cherish male bodies right yeah to like to look at them in states of near nudity often right you know for long periods and to not worry that their surveillance of that body is going to be seen as suspect you know, yeah. like and, that's, that is fascinating to me. Yeah, but and this comes up all the time in our in feminist frequencies critiques of video games. You know, we'll get people saying like, "Well, you know, this dude, you know, all these dudes are, you know, these who who you play as mm-hmm. are m- muscular. They're ripped. They often have their shirts off or whatever." And it's such a it's such an important point to say, yes, but that those bodies are like are 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 depicted as. Uh, because of their 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 power, their strength, their ability to evoke force, to mm-hmm. to do damage, to dominate, and because the presumed straight male player wants to possess that themselves, mm-hmm. whereas when a woman's body is displayed in a game, it's almost always in a much more you know, it's purely as like an object of desire. Mm-hmm. It's not something for the player to project themselves onto. Right. It's something to want to embody or possess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's often this passive, you know, uh, whereas the men's bodies are always in these situations active, right? right. Uh, e- exerting themselves, mm-hmm. very physical. 
right? Often with women's bodies, they're they're passive, but in any case, they're presented. Yeah, the display of bodies, depending on who's looking and mm-hmm. who's being looked at, can be so very different. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> right? so you have and, you know the the sexy female fighters and yes. you know the sexy partners, you know, uh, and you have the men and whatever. But the the viewer is always assumed to be a straight dude, right? right so whether it's, right. you know, whether the, the male gaze is focusing on women or whether, it, you know, it's focusing on men, nevertheless, it is a male gaze. It is a, you know, masculinized gaze, right? And so everything yes. is, is being catered to that. And yeah, there's, um, you know, there, there needs to be, um, there's this assumption that, you know, you can you can appreciate, you can cherish, you can, uh, you can want a male body, but only in these various, only certain types, right? You know, like it has to look, you know, like hyper masculinity and and when they're doing certain things. So this movie, I, I felt like it played with that sometimes because there were like very loving shots of um of Sloane's ass when he's just like climbing stairs or whatever, but it was always on the way to kicking somebody's ass, right? Yeah. Like it was yeah. never just him hanging out. Yeah. And and meanwhile, we have so uh the way women are 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 framed, it, there are some female fighters in mm-hmm. this film who Sloane goes up against. There's one who is always wearing these kind of cyberpunk mirror shades, yeah. you know, who like her I liked her. I was like, oh she's yeah, uh-huh. got cool cyberpunk mirror shades. But also you know, and there's one uh, sequence where there's like three very sexualized women, you know, whose whose butts are just like so centered and so just mm-hmm. objectified by the camera. Who are also like ostensibly, it's such a weird sequence because ostensibly they're sort of like trying to like hide in the shadows and like sneak yeah. up on Sloan and everything, but they're also wearing all this like glow in the dark <laughs> makeup or body paint or something. This like, is when I really felt like I was watching a USA up all night in cable yeah. movie in that particular yeah. scene. Like, and, and it's so interesting, the contrast, right? The, which that, that contrast between these women and, and, you know, more uh, Christopher Lambert's character at one point, like tries to tempt Sloan with, how does he put it? Um, he says, you know, he can offer Sloan provocative sensual amusement. Yes. Obviously meaning like basically like Thai, you know, Thai yeah. women, like sexy mm-hmm. Thai women. But then you have the contrast of Sloan's virtuous, you know, uh, ex, I guess ex-cop like girlfriend or wife yeah. rather, wife, who, you know, at one point takes a punch from Monkut oh my to God. save... Sloan's life and uh-huh. is then put into a coma. So then you get this scene of Durand actually like by her bedside, yeah, talking to her and saying, you know, basically doing the whole like, you know, he please please come back, like he needs you thing. So you have this woman, the wife, held up as like the image of like female mm-hmm. virtue, right, and mm-hmm. vir- female like purity and sacrifice and just goodness. So contrasted with the you know the like the tempting, you know, like sexuality and sensuality of these other, you know, sort of evil Mm -hmm. or threatening women, right? Yeah, especially because, um, like, okay, again, for the 17th time, I have not seen any other kickboxer movies, but my understanding is the one that immediately precedes this, the kind of reboot, um, what was it, Kickboxer Vengeance? So that's when when he meets Lou, uh, the woman who becomes his wife, and she's a a cop in Thailand. And the, the scene, you know, this probably reveals too much about, you know, 
the things that that bother me but the scene where she meets um oh shit I'm blanking on the name Gamon or something in the train station you know I was uh-huh. like who who are these women because in my mind um uh Lou like she looked she looked mixed race and so I was like huh that's kind of interesting if she is mixed race because I think you're right like visually she's set up as a counterpoint to the the women the other women that we see in Thailand right so it turns out the actor who plays Lou is mixed race not that that means sure. anything you know what I'm saying but I just think like yeah there's something very interesting going on with the way she's offered as kind of a counterpoint you know um like uh-huh. Uh, uh, she's no longer a prize to be won. She is something to be protected. Um, exactly. And I think exactly. it's I think it's easier for her to occupy that space um, because of her, in a way, proximity to kind of a European, um, mm-hmm. you know, aesthetic ideal. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk a, a bit about the climactic sequence before we wrap things oh, up. Oh yeah, uh-huh. um, because. Okay, so this, the final fight between Sloane and Monkut, which feels like it occupies at least the last, like, 40 minutes of the film (laughs) or something. I mean, okay. We all know the whole, like, Rocky thing where, you know, the hero is going to be, like, up against the ropes. It's going to feel like they're just drained of every last ounce of everything they have to give. And then, of course, they come back from the brink and find that inner strength and maybe the crowd is chanting for them and they emerge the victor. I mean, it's kind of, you almost can't have like a boxing or, you know, film or a film of this sort that doesn't engage in that formula to some degree. However, Mm -hmm. this fight sequence between Sloane and Monkut literally tries to take us through all those ups and downs like three, maybe like three times. Yes. And I mean, like by a certain point, something inside of me just broke. And I I mean, I'm just like, you know, it's, it's all, it's all so much too much, like so much too much. It was, it was just interminable. And I made the mistake, as I mentioned, I was doing like Wikipedia research as I was watching this. I made the mistake of spoiling myself, spoiling myself, I should say, um, for the ending of Retaliation. Um, Oh, okay. So I knew that there was going to be this, um, you know, back and forth, like he's on the ropes. He, we think he's dead, whatever. I knew that was coming. And so that made it even harder to watch because like it would have been one thing if I was watching it and hadn't been spoiled and so there might have been this tiniest scintilla of dramatic tension right the fact that the movie like exploits that and I knew they were gonna exploit that three fucking times yeah which I oh my god I I here's some here's some of my notes from that watching that sequence Sloan dies Sloan is brought back to life Sloan starts kicking Monkut's ass, then gets clobbered again. Basic, then basically gets killed again. Then comes back again. Then Monkut stabs him. <laughs> like you yeah. know, it's just like, oh my god, come yeah. on! And I and I love like all through all this. Like occasionally, we'll cut to a shot of like Christopher Lambert in a chair laughing. Yeah, he just yeah. goes. We're going to talk about this in, you know, a new segment before we we end. Okay. Christopher Lambert, I, I, as much as I hated watching this movie, yeah. Uh, where I should let me even bend that. As much as I hated the movie, I kind of dug the experience of watching it because I had not realized how much 
Christopher Lambert had been missing from my movie life. I uh-huh. loved his just crackerjack cornball yeah. villain in this movie. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. That yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed his presence. I was mm-hmm. always a little happier when he was on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so, yeah, so so let's, you know, start taking this home. Uh, we're going to sort of wrap things up by, uh, d- by doing a, a new segment. Um, this one is, is Furious 5 or Fab 5, where we do a kind of speed round listing of things that either, you know, ho- like horrified us or delighted us, things that made no sense that we loved, things that made no sense that we hated, whatever. Um, just those things that maybe stuck out for us and that we'll, are gonna, we're going to keep with us from our experience of this film. Uh, Ebony, you, you go first. What do you got for us? So I got a fab yeah. five, which is much shit as I've talked about this movie. You're probably surprised. But I, uh, these are things that <laughs> legitimately made me laugh out loud, you know, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Fab five, the train yeah. green screen between Sloan and I don't even know who he was fighting, but whatever. It was so it basically it looked like something I would create in MS Paint. So Yes. Definitely that's up there. Yeah. One, telegraph plots. This movie, you know, I I, I never am gonna, you know, worry about my feature script writing abilities again because the way plots got telegraphed in this movie, A plus, so good. Three, the John Wick economy. I am very interested in the international underground fighting clubs of Asia, uh-huh. the way that people apparently just know they're happening. They know who the big fighters are. You know, so I call it the John Wick economy because it's like the assassin economy of John Wick where you're yeah. like, everybody seems to be at least tangentially related. Loved it. Number four, Christopher Lambert, like I said, an absolute delight. I wonder if it's possible that the reason why I didn't love him as much in Highlander is because he wasn't a straight-up villain. Like, you know, he was kind of morally compromised in some ways, but he wasn't a villain. Loved him as a villain in this. Like, he just – you could just see he was, like – delighting and yeah, being kind of sleazy yeah. Um, yeah and then yeah just ending it with the fact that people from former french colonies uh you know uh proximity to like just slight french accents were getting their mm-hmm. due in this movie thomas you know like christopher lambert Alain Moussi, Jean-Claude Van Damme, they were saying, you will not deny the masculinity <laughs> of these you know Lum de fighting. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, all right, what do you got? So mine is, is kind of, I mean, it's all stuff that I that I liked. Uh, so, you know, Fab Five as well. Kind of a mixed bag of stuff, though, in terms of whether it was just stuff I genuinely admired or stuff that I just, like, thought was so bonkers that I had to kind of enjoy it on some level. Mm-hmm. So one, I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, for a few of the fight scenes, they have really long takes. And I, I really admired just the, the, the craft that went into setting those up and like, you know, like just minutes of minutes of action where uh, Sloan is kind of maybe traveling from one place to another. And all the while, you know, stuff is happening and, you know, the just it just all feels very kind of committed and you know it's it's sold very well um you know good good kind of some good fight you know purely on a level of like appreciating fight content fight choreography i thought there was some good stuff there um yeah a specific stunt at one point uh he's like riding a motorcycle down like like a, along a, a row of shops right next to like a river or something and at one point he He's, there's like he's trying to get across to the other side and so he like rides the motorcycle 
up over the river, leaps off of the motorcycle in midair, and like lands with a thud on this boat, uh, sort of on the other side. You know, just a really, you know, uh-huh. that was like a pretty cool, pretty impressive yeah. stunt, right? Uh-huh. Oh, wow, that yeah. was cool. Um, number three, um, the cartoon syringe, like from <laughs> Monkut's laboratory. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you know, I, maybe, and maybe obviously there are like actual medical requirements for syringes like that. I'd never seen a syringe like that before, but just in the context of like this hulking yeah. warrior that they are just shooting up with adrenaline or whatever. It, it is it, it straight up this, like blue whale size syringe. Yeah, it it's was like lu- it's it's ludicrous. Um, uh, 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 everything about Mike Tyson, you know, mm-hmm. uh, again, just the his his complete inability to act, you know, became mm-hmm. kind of enjoyable to me for a bit. And finally, uh, as the fans and everyone gather for the final the the, the final uh, fight between Sloan and Moncut, uh, more the Christopher Lambert character announces something like he says something like. An application has been downloaded yeah. to your cell phone. <laughs> so, like, so that people can so that people can bet on the fight, but it's like they didn't download it onto their phones. Just it's like it's like it's like Moore has some deal with Apple the same yes, way you yes. two did to just force this betting app onto everyone's phones, you know, like yeah, an application that, that has been, been downloaded so, onto know, your phone. I laughed so hard at so that. So good. And I, so yeah, I was like, oh my god, this this movie is perfect. Between that, between the copper gel ad at the very right. beginning, where like we see, you know, like this fight brought to you by Copper Gel, and it stayed on the screen yep. forever. Yes. And I was like, I wonder if that's a real product. Guess what? <laughs> Plot twist: It is. So I hope the filmmakers, you know, basically got the the film paid for by that product placement. Yeah, this movie yeah. just uh, for what it is. It absolutely is a stunning example of it. That's that's basically what I can say. Exactly. Yes. This is whatever it is. Well, this is it. Uh-huh. Um, and finally, it's time for us to actually render our verdicts uh, on each episode. We'll, you know, we're, we're going to rate the films. We'll keep a running list of our ratings um, in a shared Google Doc that uh, that you can all kind of peruse and observe. Remember, everyone, we are using Ebony's brother's patented. 100 star rating system ebony you start us off what what do you award kickboxer retaliation uh as a movie oh boy 34 stars as a as a masculinity manual See, yeah. 97 stars. <laughs> like this Whoa. movie. This well, movie. Well, let me let me clarify. As a regressive masculinity manual. Yeah. 97 stars. This movie absolutely does not recognize any other form of masculinity right. than the kind that can be demonstrated through physical might. And it insists upon it. So yeah. yeah. Uh, so as, as a I, movie, a smooth 34 stars. And yeah. I'm happy to give you that rating. I'm actually recording this episode from my brother's house, the inventor of the 100-star system. Whoa! Yeah, and my brother has indicated that at any point, if people want to take him to task or have him explain the 100-star system, guess what? You don't. Uh, he would be happy to come on board as a special Fantastic. guest and explain his thinking. But, Wonderful. Uh, yeah, but what's your rating? Yeah. I mean, so it was actually, you know, I, I was sort of of two minds about it. Or I, I realized that, I mean, I think that's part of the difficulty sometimes in being like a feminist 
who is also a critic, you know, mm-hmm. or who or a person who is a feminist critic, is reconciling that you can't just like leave your feminism at the door mm-hmm. or whatever. Because like if you know, I would actually if somebody just wanted to watch a movie with some pretty cool fight sequences and stuff in it, you know, I'd probably. And if that were purely the level on which I were thinking about mm-hmm. this film, I might give this film like a, you know, like a, a, a 62 or something. Mm-hmm. But but because, I mean, I cannot divorce this film's uh, ideas about masculinity, which are so overt and so mm-hmm. explicit. And it's, and it's, you know, by extension, it's treatment of women and it's sort of limiting and very narrow uh, ideas about women. I cannot divorce those from the film as a whole. They are, mm-hmm. they are woven, you know, irrevocably into the fabric of this film. So I'm going to give it a 30. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And, and basically I, I think we're being generous. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm torn as well. Like I, uh, there's definitely that part of me, you know, uh, because we're still so early mm-hmm. in cinema ball, it's like, I'm still feeling out because like, I want to give room. I want to leave room yeah. for like, Oh, because we could easily watch films that are much, much worse than this. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure I have room down on the scale yeah. for those. So right now, I mean, all my selections are kind of like strategic, you know, like, okay, I feel like it should be somewhere in this area so uh-huh. that I have enough room to say, oh, you know, we thought that we thought kickboxer retaliation was bad. And it was. But, oh, my God, this film is like so much worse. Um, you know, I, I don't have the room. If, if we run up against something that is like tangibly, palpably worse than kickboxer retaliation, uh-huh. it took me, I, I had to stop this movie probably seven yeah. times, take a yeah. quick break and then come back to it. If we sure. something get something that's like appreciably worse, I'm not, I'm going to have to take the L and just forfeit this round because this <laughs> was painful. Enough. Well, Ebony, speaking of pain, uh, it's mm-hmm. time for you to announce the film that we are watching for our next episode. And I have my fingers crossed that it is a less excruciating film than this one. What's it going to be? I am delighted to Uh connect Kickboxer Retaliation through one of its many executive producers, Alan Oh, my God. To Uh the film he was also a producer on, It Follows, which has actually been kind of critically very well received. And I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. So so uh, just so people know, this this movie came out in, I think, 2014. It is about a young girl. So it's a kind of supernatural, psychological horror movie slash thriller um, about a young girl who is chased by this kind of malevolent entity after a sexual encounter. Um, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Like, you know, in a... And I think we'll both have been glad for oh, yeah. a break from the kind I of, agree. you know, just like yeah, a little intense focus on dudes, yeah. you know, before I, I before I almost invariably in my, in my relentless pursuit of knockoff, almost certainly kick it back to something mm-hmm. uh, lesser once again. Um, <laughs> you will not be surprised to learn but, that as I was attempting to connect kickboxer retaliation to something, the folks who worked on this movie work on a lot of movies that are just like it. So I had to yeah. get in that wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad you found I'm glad you found a way out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that is going to do it for us this week. Uh, thanks so much uh, to Simplecast, which hosts both this podcast and, of course, our flagship show, Feminist Frequency Radio. We'll see you back here next week for another round of Cinema Ball. Bye, everybody. Bye.